was the night before Christmas when all through the city the SRC was busy pondering things not so pretty. Something was stirring from this unelected creature, like canceling the contract of each and every teacher. Shared sacrifices what we heard from dear old Bill Hite, but he got a $30,000 raise and a new contract in the middle of the night. Assistant superintendents were nestled snug in their beds with visions of $10,000 bonuses dancing in their heads. Uh -huh. That's how the dialogue about the Philadelphia public schools has sounded too often for too many years. Many city residents didn't trust the school reform commission, that odd city-state hybrid. Some hated its strategy of trying to create a portfolio of school options, traditional, magnet, and charter. In turn, commission members often seemed infinitely weary of the organized theater of protest to which some advocates treated them at meeting after meeting. Well, those days are about to end. I'm Chris Satulo, and this is 20 by 70, the Committee of 70 podcast for people who expect more from Philadelphia. After 17 years of sharing it with state government, the city has regained control of its school district. Mayor Kenny has appointed a new nine-member school board that will take office in July. This alone won't fix the city schools. They'll still be underfunded. They'll still grapple with the challenges of trying to educate the most impoverished big city in America. But it is unquestionably a new day dawning. To get ready to dive into it, the new school board just embarked on a five-stop listening tour of the city. About 400 people showed up to share hopes and concerns for education around Philadelphia. And now we're joined in the studio at WXPN by Lee Wong, who is uh, one of the nine people appointed by Mayor Kenny to the new Philadelphia Board of Education, which will take office in July. Welcome, Lee. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. You want to uh, first tell us just a little bit about your, your work background, like where you came from, where you went to school? Sure. I came to Philadelphia now 27 years ago, went to Penn. Um, Worked for a nonprofit in West Philadelphia for 10 years, the Enterprise Center. Incredible organization. Uh, went back to grad school, also at Penn, and have been at eConsult Solutions for 12 years now. We're a local economic consulting firm. And you're a senior vice president. I'm a senior vice president, part owner, um, and it's a great firm, great people. So that sounds like a wonderful place to be. What fit of insanity led you to raise your hand and v volunteer to do this non-paying, incredibly challenging job? Well, if you put it like that, <laughs> you're making me sweat a little bit. I, I think, um, you know, I'm not from Philly, but I'm very invested in Philadelphia and in the future. I, I'm, I've been really taken by the mayor's vision, uh, which I share, um, that the way that this um, goes forward as a city um, is that we continue to grow, um, but that we grow in an inclusive uh, manner. And what better point of leverage than our public schools? Um, in order to affect that. Um, it, it, the public schools need to work for families all around the city, um, families of means and families without means, um, and everything in between. Um, people have choices. Um, some people have fewer choices than others, unfortunately. Um, but one common denominator that I'd like to see in the Philadelphia that my kids are going to grow up into um, is a quality public school um, and a, a school district that you can uh, trust in um, and that becomes a real attractor for um, people who are making choices to 
stay or go, to come, uh, to, to locate a business, to grow a business, all of that is really important, and the public schools are a big factor in that. Now, though the desire um, for Philadelphia to regain control of its school district and to end the sort of hybrid um, situation with the School Reform Commission has been going on for a long time, it actually um, is happening on a pretty aggressive timetable between you know the, the, the time that the decision was made to disband and then Mayor Kenny and his team having to go through the complicated process of appointing school board members that was mandated by the charter and some other things. You've been going, and the other board members have been going through, it's almost like Marine boot camp. You've been going through this really intensive training the last couple of months, which included the, the five-event listening tour. Can you just talk a little bit about what that experience has been like? Well, first, thank you, Chris, and also Harris, for uh, teeing up some really great listening sessions. That would be Harris Sokoloff from yes. the Penn Project of uh, Civic Engagement. And uh, those were really fantastic to participate in. I learned a lot. Um, I think it was a really um, welcomed uh, outlet for folks to be able to to weigh in. And, and even before we get to the things, the specific things that we learned, just that having that outlet, I realize, um, is so important at this time. Um, there's very much a, um, and I don't use this word lightly, trauma um, that people have felt um, about the state takeover. Um, that um, people have felt um, that this thing that really matters to them, to their children, to their communities, has been taken out of their control, and they don't have the agency to even voice concerns, let alone affect change. Um, And so the first thing that I took away from those listening sessions was just the energy and the interest in wanting to be engaged, wanting to have a voice, and we as board members are, are really trying to lean into that. Um, we are real people. We use SEPTA and go to CVS and walk down the street and go to Penn's Landing just like everyone else. Um, and so I think that um, when you see us and you are able to register a complaint, um, that means something um, because we're accessible in ways that um, the, the, the previous structure didn't feel as accessible. Um, and right. so I, th- I think that was an important takeaway uh, from uh, from those listening sessions was just the energy and the concerns that people shared and therefore the need for us to to be approachable and to listen. Yeah, just to jump in with some background, there were five sessions. Um, one of them was held at Dobbins um, School in North Philadelphia, the other four at regional libraries in West Philly, South Philly, Longcrest session of um, Northeast Philly and in Germantown at the Coleman Regional Library. About 400 people came, same format at each one. We had a lot of repeat customers, too. Some people, like, came to the multiple ones. Um, <clears throat> so having gone through that experience and gone to a, a couple of them, did you go to two or three? I went to two. You went to two. Um, what was it that you heard that sort of confirmed what you suspected, and, and then what were the discoveries? Um, well, first, and you mentioned kind of repeat attendees. So there were there are folks that are... Um, both passionate and committed to the issue of public education. Um, I am deeply indebted to their service and their consistency. Um, I also feel that there were a lot of folks that would not consider themselves on the front line of public education as an issue, but were just concerned community residents, parents, teachers, um, uh, uh, parents or grandparents of teachers, um, and who saw the listening sessions as an accessible format to learn and to participate. And so that was really helpful, um, was, was understanding just how 
vast is the touch of the school district. 203,000 kids, uh, $3.2 billion budget, um, but it really touches literally every neighborhood in Philadelphia, and so it matters to everyone. And the thing that I remember was that people expressed concerns, but they also expressed a, a desire to be engaged and to help. And so we want to tap into that energy. The other thing that I picked up on, um, which speaks to a larger kind of structural issue that Philadelphia is facing, as I was saying earlier, this notion of inequity, um, is the vast disparity of resources when you go from neighborhood to neighborhood, which is manifest in part in the um, caliber of the school that you are able to access depending on where you live. And this is a, a, a very important issue that the school board is aware of and trying to figure out how to address, but it really speaks to a decades-long structural trend that we're seeing, in, particularly in a, manuf a post-manufacturing uh, sort of city like Philadelphia. You used to have a lot of middle-class jobs uh, and stable neighborhoods of people walking to their factory employment, and for a variety of reasons, you don't have that anymore. And so you have this growing chasm between the haves and the have-nots, or people have described it as a tale of two cities. Public education is potentially the great equalizer. It is, in uh, economics terms, a positive externality. It, it's why we provide it publicly rather mm -hmm. than just leaving it for the private sector to deal with. And so when people think of public education, what they don't want to see is that it's inequitable and that if you have more resources, you can get right. a, a better quality right. education. And one thing that surprised me a little bit, having been at all the sessions, is the, the inequity was perceived across two dimensions. And I expected to hear a lot about the one dimension, which is, um, oh, look at what the suburban schools get. And, you know, the amount of money they spend per pupil is way out of whack with what Philadelphia has, even though probably those ratios should be reversed because Philadelphia has the harder challenge. But it was that second thing that you're pointing to how acutely people felt what they perceived as inequities between neighborhoods and schools um, was was yeah. a little. I mean, of course, I knew that was there, but the people wanted to talk about that a lot more than complain about the difference in resources. It, it's an issue. From 1950 to 2000, we were a declining city, so it's only been in the last couple of decades that we've seen growth, but that growth is not equitably happening. We've seen pockets of growth. And we've seen stagnancy, if not decline, in other areas. And so that disparity in the second half of the 20th century was a city-suburb thing. Mm -hmm. Now it is also a within-city sort of issue. Right. Great point. Um, I don't know whether you were in a breakout group where this came up, but this also struck me. In two of the groups uh, I had the opportunity to moderate, somebody made the point that the rise of friends of groups, you know, friends of Jackson School, friends of Chester A. Arthur School, uh, where, you know, and often it's millennials who've moved into a neighborhood who, before they even have children of school age, begin in sort of investing in their neighborhood school. That's a laudable phenomenon, but it's worsening the trends you're talking about because those are um, neighbor tend to be neighborhoods of higher income and, and actually infusions of wealth. So it's only making those intrinsic uh, inequities worse because there's in some other neighborhoods, there's no wealth to creative friends of? It, it's a very, I'm conflicted about this. And, and you see this a lot with education, whether it's friends of groups or people who are supporting charter schools or what have you. 
as a parent, I respect the um, desire for individual parents and groups of parents to do what they can in the best interest of their children. That is, their, that is my top priority as a parent, and that is every parent's top priority. Um, the question is, if left alone like that and it leads to more inequity where people with resources are able to invest those resources in ways that advantage their children in ways that other neighborhoods are not able to do, then we are, exas we are exacerbating the issue. And so I think that's why I am interested in serving on the school board is that at the district level, what can we do to ensure a baseline level of quality whether it's uh, and, and, and attacking that from a financial standpoint, from a facility standpoint, from a um, uh, metrics and performance standpoint, there are a lot of different ways that we can look at the district as an institution and lift the floor. Um, and so that is an important thing to do because of these inequities is to make sure that the baseline um, quality level is there for every family, for every community. Right. You <clears throat> alluded to a, a moment ago that education, you, you feel, and I certainly agree, should be viewed as a public good, not a private consumer good. Uh, that was also a real theme with a lot of people who arrived, and I think trauma is an appropriate word, with the sense of having been traumatized uh, under the uh, reign of the SRC. But for a lot of them, it's expressed that the SRC and the state were about the privatization and corporatization of the school district. Uh, and that includes, you know, the whole charter school controversy, which is complicated. There was a significant but definitely less numerous group of people who regarded at least charters, maybe not the whole package of what happened under the SRC, is actually providing choice to them as parents that they valued. And that was one of the more poignant divides in the rooms. Um, I'm not asking you to resolve all that, but... Um, so we're starting with the, the common common charge that what we've seen is aggressive corporatization and privatization in the school district. Do you think that's fair? And even if it's not fair, obviously, as a school board member, you're going to have to deal with that perception. So how do you think your way through that? I think this is another issue where people are making individual choices, and you want to give them latitude to do that, but then you also have to look at the whole system. So whether it's in any given neighborhood, you may have the presence of strong institutions, you know, whether it's universities, churches, nonprofits, corporations, who, as part of their um, own selfish missions, are looking to invest in schools in a way that is mutually beneficial. All well and good. Some neighborhoods lack that, so you have inequity there. Does that mean, therefore, that the communities that do have those institutions in their neighborhoods should feel bad about accessing those resources, that we should tell those institutions to spread those resources out beyond the areas of geographic uh, interest, that, that's, a, that's a challenge. Um, charters are the same thing. You can uh, look at charters uh, as a system in terms of how is that helping the school district as a whole. And you also have to look at it in terms of individual charters, which are serving children and parents. Um, and, you know, the, the process by which we allow charters to come in, renew them or not renew them, have an effect on the overall system, also have an effect on a specific population of students and parents. Right. That's a tough that's a tough trade-off. Yeah, just as an aside, if taken and looked at as a system, the charters in Philadelphia would be the second largest school system in the entire state. Uh, by far. By far, yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, a lot of people who have concerns about charters um, perceive 
is that those decisions about individual charters were not being made um, through pure evaluation of academic or progress or, or fiscal discipline. They were being made on the basis of who runs the charter, that there were connections involved. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if the school board's had a chance to like talk or think about this, and obviously, you know, you have have had no ability to do anything yet. You're not sworn in. But do you have any thoughts or going in about um, what the new board needs to do to reassure people that there isn't a bunch of inside dealing going on in the school district? One of the things that we heard very clearly um, in both formal and informal circles is the need to make more transparent that process. Um, and uh, I, I do want to commend the SRC, which gets beat up a lot, had an opportunity to talk to and learn from both present and past members. They are all public servants. They're all trying to do the right thing. It is, in a sense, a po- an impossible situation that they're in. Um, so I, I, I want to make sure that um, in talking about the difficulties of the past way that things are going, um, that we acknowledge the good work of individual SRC members. And charter authorization and renewal is a big part of that. There is a certain process, um, and the, that process needs to be abided by. And what, one of the things that we're hoping for going forward is that we can um, educate and include the public in that process in a more transparent and accountable manner. That being said, it could end up with outcomes that people aren't going to like, and we accept that. Right. In, in just in terms of fairness to the SRC and to you folks going forward, you know, there's DNA built into laws, and the charter law in Pennsylvania passed in the 1990s, originally though amended some since, into its DNA was built the notion that the home school district was going to be antagonistic to charters, so you didn't want to give them too much leeway to make the judgments that, you know, baseball the tie goes to the runner in the charter law in Pennsylvania, most of the benefit of the doubt goes to the individual charter operator. I'm not sure how many people understand that. It, that is an important nuance that, <laughs> on the one hand, in general, understanding what our role as as a school board and also what it isn't, what we can and cannot do, is an important thing to put out there um, so that we can set ex- uh, appropriate expectations and focus on the points of leverage that we do have. And on the other hand, I do think that on it is somewhat fair for people to say, look, these are all schools. You guys are the school board. You know, do the right thing. And I get that. It's clear that the advent of the school board has created a certain ray of hope for a lot of people. There was a hopefulness in the room along with the trauma and the anger and the the critiques of some of what had happened. But because nothing comes for free, I also sort of sense that for you there's, as board members, there's a little bit of a danger because people have been waiting and hoping for this moment for so long that there's a danger they're going to think, well, the problems are solved. Like, you know, that low per pupil spending is just going to soar that now that we have local control. How do you think about um, that, that job of sort of explaining to people where the money comes from and, and what the challenges are and what they maybe could do that maybe hasn't happened in the past to help the school district fight for more resources in Harrisburg? Well, you know, we're having a lot of conversations at the local, state, and national level about, um, and a lot of rhetoric, um, and a lot of expectations. And you're right, some of those expectations are unfair. In general, um, we as citizens want everything, and we don't want to pay for anything. So that's a baseline, you know, 
set of un- unrealistic expectations. We will pay for whatever new iPhone Apple puts out. <laughs> it's just education we don't want to pay for. Right. Sorry, so, a little bit of editorializing. So, yeah, okay. But, well, so so on the one hand, so I think that the, the way forward is engagement, um, that if people have um, cynicism about uh, the public sector, if people have unrealistic expectations, the response by government, the response by public bodies cannot be to throw our hands up and say, this is an impossible situation and we're going to circle the wagons. We are public servants. We have to engage. We have to meet the discussion halfway. Um, we have to inform and then we have to do our best. Um, and so I think that going back to the psychological importance of the listening sessions, I, I think we're going to work really hard to continue that good um, uh, feeling of engagement and conversation, because that's ultimately where we're going to meet in the middle and, and get real stuff done. Now, Lee, you work in the world of economic consulting now. I wonder if you've sort of thought of any analogies, business analogies or corporate analogies to the task confronting you. Is this a startup? Is it a merger? Is it a takeover? But what is it that you can bring from your own experience and your training at Wharton, et cetera, to this new task? Well, I will be honest and say that this is an overwhelming and, uh, to be frank, terrifying <laughs> responsibility. <laughs> the, Good, you're uh, thinking rationally about this. <laughs> Uh, it is a large enterprise, and um, as such, it has the opportunity to make a grand, um, multi-generational difference. But change is is going to be slow to happen. Um, there are people that are far nobler than me that have spent their entire lives on uh, these sorts of issues, and only to move the needle just a little bit. But that just a little bit made a difference because it moved things in the right direction. Um, so I, I'm trying to be sober about the, the task at hand. Um, and uh, at the same time, I, I do think that the newness of a local locally controlled board creates a window of opportunity to set a tone and set a direction that hopefully builds its own momentum, that you start to say, we're not there, but we're moving in the right direction. So I'm going to jump on board. And then that momentum begins to build on itself. Um, so whether it's individual parents, advocacy groups, um, nonprofit sector, universities, the corporate sector, everyone touches public schools. Everyone has the opportunity to help the public schools, and everyone benefits from a strong public school system. We need to underscore that we're going in the right direction so that people join in rather than opt out. Um, Again, going back to look at the DNA that's in bills or laws, the law that created the School Reform Commission in its DNA contained, um, shall we say, a somewhat um, adversarial viewpoint with the teachers' union in the sense that employee contracts were a huge part of the problem that the SRC was created to solve. Not sure that, that any of that actually happened. Um, by contrast, my sense at the listening sessions was it was um, an environment where people were mostly very supportive of teachers, very focused on how important a good teacher or a good building principal is to everything that the school district is trying to do. Um, so I know, don't want to get ahead of yourself or anything, but do you have any sense of either you personally or the board um, generally, 
in terms of what you're thinking about doing to repair what have often been fairly fractious relationships with the PFT and the other unions within the district, the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers? Contract negotiations can be inherently adversarial. Um, I do think, though, that the general tone that we want to take going forward is that we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. Um, and what I've heard over and over again, and I know it sounds simplistic, but it is a very helpful North Star, is we're in, we're, our mission is for the betterment and education of the children that are entrusted to us. I have three, two of them are in the public schools. So this is a personal issue for me. And so um, any way that we can, we can move away from an adversarial tone towards a more collaborative, we're working on this together sort of tone, I think we want to go in that direction. I think all of us on the school board get that. And it's our predisposition to want to work towards that in our conversation and our action. It's interesting that you put things that way because one of the uh, quotes from one of the breakout groups that leaped out of us that we've highlighted um, in the report that we drafted last week on the sessions was a quote saying, we need the Board of Education to remember that it's the chief advocate and bulwark of the safety of the children of Philadelphia. And that's what they feel what they lost trust that the SRC was actually that, and they they just desperately want the Board of Education to be perceived as exactly what you just said. So it's not trite at all to talk about that. People saw that as the heart of the matter. And my fellow board members are um, very well respected in their respected fields and, and come with a fantastic perspective, many of whom are specifically have spent their professional lives related to the education and protection of uh, vulnerable children. Um, and so I'm very confident that that is a posture that we're going to continue to take as a body. So, you know, and having seen all of you, you know, talk to the, the uh, citizens, the residents at the, the listening session forums, it was very impressive, the job you all did in sort of summarizing what you heard and talking about what you hope to do. There has been, though, a criticism of this group, which is you know individually and collectively impressive in terms of resume, that none of you represent in clear ways any politically influential um, constituencies in Philadelphia or Harrisburg. How do you think about that um, particular statement? Oh, I want to tread lightly here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that... Um, Ultimately, the role of the school board is to be in public service. Um, and I've had the fortune of um, calling f as friend and colleague and in some cases working on campaigns for politicians who are true public servants. Um, I think that the challenge with politics is uh, that you're always looking to your next election. Um, and one thing that is in unique about our school board is that we're not elected, we're appointed, for better or for worse. And I understand that there's an a, accountability mechanism that is there when you are elected. Um, we serve at the pleasure of the mayor. The mayor has made clear his agenda, um, and he has otherwise given us room to act in uh, our, our interest of, of serving the children. Um, and so the fact that we, quote-unquote, lack political clout, um, whether or not that's true, even if we had that political clout, we would be careful to act in ways that are 
kind of outside of and transcend the politics of transactions and power brokering and all the things that go into mm-hmm. getting into office and staying into office. Um, and I, I think so. So I think that it's a good thing that we're just focused on uh, overseeing the school district and and working for the kids. Um, you mentioned Mayor Kenny. You're all his appointees. Has he given you any clear, I don't want to call them marching orders, but, you know, sort of a, a sense of charge or what he wants you to work on? Well, first, he's been very careful um, that uh, uh, we are to act uh, in the best interest of the district and its children, and we are not an appendage of his policy agenda. That being said, as I mentioned before, I think he's been very clear, and I'll speak for myself, that I've agreed with this posture of his, that the way that we go forward as a city is that we grow equitably, and that the best, the biggest leverage point for that is a quality public school system. Um, and so that much is clear, and it's our job to execute that in the roles that we have as a school board. Um, I think I can say as somebody who's toiled in the vineyards of civic engagement in this city for 20 years that there has been a lot of um, what somebody coined, not me, as easel fatigue in this town. You know, you show up and the easels are there and people are writing things down on a piece of paper, but that's it. You know, there's no follow-through. It doesn't lead anywhere. You showed up, you gave three hours of your time, and nothing happened. There's a word that I haven't used yet, which um, I think is implicitly very important to individual board members and the body as a whole, which is integrity. And integrity means a lot of different things, but at at its core, an important part of integrity is keeping your word. Um, If you say you're going to do something, then you do it. And uh, to your point about easel fatigue... Um, there is a lot of that. And that, I think, gets us further away from true engagement. Um, And so I've talked about norms. Uh, I think we're going to try to do our best to codify um, this notion of integrity in terms of keeping our word. If we hear uh, from someone, we will, they can expect a response. And what happens when you act in integrity is that people trust that If they've voiced something, they may not get what they want, but they will get a response. Um, And so it's our job to traffic cop those responses and in a timely manner provide some sort of information back. Again, it may not be what people want, but they deserve a response. Um, I think to say that in an inverse way, because there's been easel fatigue, because there's been that um, not following through on things, then when you have a... even when you have what you think is an authentic conversation, I'm expecti- expressing a concern, you're nodding your head and saying, I hear you, there's a cynicism that says, but you're not going to do anything about it. And I think it's important for us to establish norms that create the opposite reputation that we will follow through. That's, that's an important level of respect um, and integrity that we're aiming for. Even as we are likely to make unpopular decisions, I hope that people will come to see us as um, a body uh, of integrity and of, you know, timely response. Lee, thanks so much for being with us today at WXBN. Thank you, Chris. 
This 20 by 70 podcast was done in partnership with Young Involved Philadelphia, a great group that helps younger Philadelphians stay informed, engaged, and active in the civic and political life of their city. To see what YIP is up to and what their next event will be, go to their website, Young Involved Phila, that's Young Involved, P-H-I-L-A, dot org. Now let's bring in David Thornburg, CEO of the Committee of 70. How are you doing, David? I'm great, Chris. So uh, one thing the Committee of 70 has had during this whole transition period from the School Reform Commission to the new school board is a working group sort of looking at the long-term issues, trying to to help frame up the choices that the city school district um, is going to face going forward. What, yep. what, what What's the outcome been there? Well, this is something uh, that we're very much interested in. We are kind of the governance specialists uh, in Philadelphia, and this is a significant change in the governance of the school district. I think one of the things that we want to try to do is to help calibrate and set expectations. While we always want to expect more, uh, it's, it's important that people start to realize what this new school board uh does, what it doesn't do, what decisions it will affect, what decisions it can't affect or that are more difficult to affect. Um, And this will take some time to sort of seep into the public and the informed public consciousness. So, you know, we did support the amendment to the city charter that created the school board, and we're actively talking with other education groups. We'll be over the, for the next couple of years to try to figure out how we can play that role. Right. It was clear in the listening sessions that there's been such a long period of if only um, for people who care about the schools in Philadelphia. So many things happening that distress them, the school closings, the layoffs, the drama around the opening of school, you know, year yeah. after year, do we have enough money to open? And they thought, and, you know, sort of the point of... Uh, criticism around that inevitably was the School Reform Commission because they were out front right. making these decisions. So people said, if only we had local control, you know, these things right. wouldn't be happening. Yeah. But there are structural problems that go deeper than the yeah. governance. Well, and I'm a little uh, concerned watching this, participating in this debate, that maybe some folks oversold the the role and the expectations for what would happen in Harrisburg relative to the 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 school district, and maybe people forgot that a significant amount of money, I think broadly about half, comes from essentially city council uh, and from the tax base of the city of Philadelphia. Um, and and so we've got to, that's part of the uh, conversation that I think we, we've got to re- recalibrate. And, you know, in a sense, this is one of those dog caught the bus moments. You want local control? Here you go. But I think we're starting to realize we need to backfill or sort of refresh people's sense, just basic sense of who does what and right. what, who well, influences The what. SRC has been around so long that a lot of people have moved to Philadelphia, met their spouse, gotten married, and had that's children, right. um, and never, well, never functioned under the old system, that's right. and never lived anywhere else in Pennsylvania. So it still comes as a surprise and a bit of shock to many people in Philadelphia that everywhere else around the Commonwealth, the school board actually has the ability unilaterally to set its budget and to set a property tax rate and other tax rates to fund that budget. Only in Philadelphia is that not the case. Right. And um, that is a little baffling um, 
to people understandably, but they're going to have to sort of relearn what all the moves are under local control and where the money yeah. comes from. I mean, ultimately, I think that is the benefit of uh, uh, of situating the, the new school board the way it's been situated it is because it, it, it will force people, we hope, uh, to learn and embrace um, a, a new kind of activism that's more focused on City Hall, their local council people, the mayor's office, than taking the bus to Harrisburg and showing up and chaining themselves to somebody's desk. Right. And there are problems inside the school district finances that don't yield to an easy fix. Right. And we talked about this a couple episodes ago with Kristen Graham, and uh, you and I had a little back and forth about that. It is really, uh, I think, puts the focus on Philadelphia's tax base, its its wealth. Uh, however, we rejigger things if we're not growing the value of property uh, here in Philadelphia. The choices about how to raise more money for the schools becomes much more painful and difficult. Thanks, David. Well, that's it. Wrapping up another episode of 20 by 70. Thanks for listening. And if you uh, enjoyed the podcast, uh, please uh, take a moment to rate us and review us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thanks uh, again to our guest, uh, Lee Wong, a new member of the Board of Education of Philadelphia. And a special thanks to WXBN Public Radio, who has been pitching in and helping us to find a summer home while our regular spot at Kelly Writer's House on the Penn Campus is being renovated. Particular thanks to Mike Vasilikos of WXBN, who's been a great help. Our producer has been the intrepid Joel Patterson. And once again, we've been joined in the studio by David Thornburg, the CEO of the Committee of 70. So until next time, um, keep paying attention, keep thinking about policy and politics, and above all, expect more Philadelphia. Yeah.